This morning, uh, we are finishing up our soundtrack uh, to your life. This is the series on the Psalms. And so over the last few weeks, we've been working through uh, the different categories of Psalms and the different uh, types of Psalms. And as we've been doing that, the way that helped me the most to kind of categorize the Psalms uh, is Walter Brueggemann's like, system of three different types of categories of Psalms. The first is Psalms of Orientation. When all is right in the world, everything is upside, you know, the right side up, and everything's looking good, praise God, things are good. Then there's psalms of disorientation. These are the ones we talked about last week, um, psalms of lament. This is when something really tough that's happening in your life, um, when you feel alone, or when you're going through some sort of tragedy, or even something that to other people might sound small, but to you it's really just wrecking you. And, and life becomes disoriented, and things seem to be upside down, maybe like, God has gone on vacation and is nowhere to be found. Justice is not prevailing. That's a psalm of disorientation. And then in the midst of a psalm of disorientation, the psalmist uh, takes a turn. They turn the corner and you begin to see uh, the, new, the third type of psalm, which is a psalm of reorientation. This is like the aha moment. Oh, now I understand. I see uh, what God has been doing in this time and I, I recognize that God was with me the whole time. Coming out of disorientation and lament, we begin to see things in a new light. And we begin, um, maybe something that was unclear to you before, after going through a time of struggle, all of a sudden it's clear now. And all of a sudden something, you, you've learned something and you see something from a different perspective. These are Psalms of reorientation, also known as Psalms of Thanksgiving. Uh, psalms of Thanksgiving are taking an opportunity to show that you've reconnected with God and all of a sudden you, you recognize this new thing he was trying to show you. Now, psalms of thanksgiving are different from psalms of praise. A few weeks ago, Carrie taught about psalms of praise. A psalm of praise is uh, when we look at God and his characteristics of who he is. God is constant, God is all-knowing, and we thank God for those things. That's a psalm of praise. That's a psalm of orientation in the beginning. After disorientation, we have reorientation, and you see things in a new light. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's looking back and saying, God, thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you for being constant. Thank you for providing for me and for protecting me. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. And that's what we're talking about today. Um, I thought we'd get started with a song by a band called Andrew Peterson. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of the Andrew Peterson band, but... Uh, it's kind of a mellow band uh, that we often turn on for our boys at night uh, to go to sleep to. And this is one of my favorite songs. It's called Dancing in the Minefields. And it's, if you listen to this part of it, you can kind of see how uh, it's almost like a psalm. And in the midst of the song, he's recognizing, like he's coming out of the disorientation and rounding the corner and realizing that, hey, all these risks and all these things that we do in life, all the tough times are worth it in the end. So have a listen. Dancing in the minefields, we're sailing in the storms, and this is harder than we dream, but I believe that's what the promise is for, that's what the promise is for, so when I lose my way, find me, and when I lose love's chains, bind me. At the end of all my faith To the end of all my days When I forget my name Remind me 
son of man So there's nothing left to fear So I'll walk with you in the shadowlands Till the shadows disappear Cause he promised not to leave us And his promises are true So in the face of all this chaos Maybe I can dance with you So he's singing that song to his wife and he's singing it about how all the chaos and things we've been through, it's like dancing in the minefields. It's kind of a cool song. Um, it, it, sometimes when we're going through a time of disorientation, it really seems like God has completely abandoned us. It seems like things are completely out of control. But then when you round the corner, you see that God was there the whole time and that God is always seated on his throne, that God is not out of control, that God hasn't gone on vacation. I love one of the names uh, for God in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew name and it's El Roy. Um, and El Roy simply means God sees. There's a great picture of this in the Gospels. Um, in John chapter 6, there's a story of the disciples of Jesus were out on a boat out in the middle of a lake, and they were three to four miles out on the lake. There's this big storm. And from the shore, walking on the beach, Jesus can see three to four miles, which is hard enough, through a storm in the night. He sees them, and he walks across the water out to them. And that's just a reminder to me of Elroy that God sees, that God sees what's happening, and he sees what's going to happen. God knows the long game in your life. He knows what happens in the end. He knows what happens three years from now. God is well aware of what's happening. He knows that if you walk with your dad through the struggles of cancer, that maybe five years down the road, you might be able to walk another friend through the struggles of cancer because you have experienced it in an intimate way. And God knows that even though it's a really tough thing to go through, that in the end, there is something to come out of it. He knows that uh, maybe something you encountered as a child, that someday uh, that tough moment you might be able to walk through with someone else later. God sees that. I believe that God shapes us through our experiences, that God knows what is to come. There's a great author named uh, Nassim Talib, and he wrote this book called Anti-Fragile, and the byline is, Things That Gain From Disorder. In the book, he talks about how anti-fragile is something that gets better when pressure is applied. This is a quote from the book. Anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient simply resists shock and stays the same. The anti-fragile gets better. That's us. We are the anti-fragile. Through the tough times, if you have Christ with you, in the end, you get better. The tough things that happen and whatnot, God grows us in those moments, and he has something uh, in store for us in the end. I like to think of myself as a piece of steampunk art. Is anybody into steampunk art at all? All right, so here's a little steampunk art. I like to think of myself as like that in the making Whatever I was originally, whether I was like a fork or a gear in an engine or like a plumbing pipe or whatever I was, I, I was like oriented and I thought everything was great in life. And then God like melted me down and hammered and, you know, chiseled and, and reshaped me. And that, that hurts. That's the disorientation. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. But then in the end, I'm reoriented and I get to see things from a new perspective. I'm a beautiful piece of art. Is that up there? Yeah. It's pretty cool looking, huh? That's what I made on metal. Um, Anyways, it's, uh, it's really cool to have that new perspective now as a, uh, having been reshaped by God. And I love um, that God does that in our lives and gives us new purpose. 
Today we're talking about the Psalms of Reorientation. We're going to be looking at Psalm 30. If you want to grab a Bible next to you, you can turn to page 385, 385. And on page 385, we're going to be in Psalm 30, and we're going to start off with verse 1. Psalm 30 was written uh, by King David. Again, this is the same King David we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, the same King David who fought Goliath, right? David and Goliath, the same King David um, who uh, was king for years and years and and had this dream of building uh, what would later become the temple. Um, King David, a a fantastic guy uh, who we hear all about in the Bible. And he wrote this Psalm of Thanksgiving, Psalm 30. So I just want to read some parts of it. Starting in verse 1, he says, I will exalt you, O Lord, uh, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called out to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. Then at the very end, verses 11 and 12, the psalmist says, You turn my wailing into dancing. I love that. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, he thanks to you forever. In this psalm, This is clearly from the beginning. He's praising God. He has already made that turn coming out of a psalm of lament. Many psalms were written by King David because he endured lots of tough things. Remember last week we talked about how psalms of lament and uh, disorientation, there are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. David wrote most of the psalms. David encountered lots of really tough things. But in this psalm, he's giving thanks to God He is excited and he's recognizing that God was present and that God did not abandon him. And that's a very important thing for us to see. But for some people, they don't yet see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel alone when you're going through struggles. Or maybe even worse yet, you get to the end of a struggle and feel like nothing came out of it. You didn't get anything good. In fact, maybe you're even more broken than you were before, and the struggle just seems pointless and and cruel and tough. I want to tell you this morning that if you haven't heard this yet, the missing link, the one who could be walking beside you and, and never leaving you alone, the light at the end of the tunnel, it's Jesus Christ. He is the one who will never forsake or abandon you. He will never leave you. God's son, he came to earth And he lived out every one of these psalms. Jesus got to experience humanity's pain through the psalms of lament. And on the other side, he got to praise God and thank him for all the things he has done. And so that's the God who we believe established a kingdom here and now today. It's a kingdom of love and it's a kingdom that you can be a part of. So I want to invite you that If maybe today that's the first time you're hearing that, or maybe today something strikes a chord with you, find somebody with a badge. Don't don't leave today without talking to someone about Jesus being that person in your life who is always there with you, who walks through with you, and gives you a reason to be thankful, what we're talking about today. See, I believe that Christ's kingdom is here and now in our midst. I kind of see it as lots of little bits of heaven, kind of like sprinkling down from heaven. Like there's a hole in heaven and it's just kind of like sifting down into the earth. And us as Christians, as we live our lives, we are exposing those things. We're showing those things, making them more uh, like shining a light on them for people 
to see. I, I think that's how Jesus lived his life. Every action that he took was to reveal heaven on earth, was to show people that God was present and that God had been present all along and he will be forever. So if you want to be a part of that, find someone today and talk to them. See, I think as humans, when we accept Jesus into our lives, when the Holy Spirit moves into you and, and God actually dwells within you and lives inside of you, when that happens, that that conversion, that that moment is your moment of reorientation. That all of a sudden now, because the Holy Spirit is in you and because you've accepted Christ, you can now see things with a different perspective. You view things differently. Instead of looking at your neighbors with pity because of whatever's going on in their life or because of the situation that they're in, instead you now look at your neighbors with hope. Your neighbors are no longer projects to try and fix or to help, but instead there's someone with which you can share the abundance of the kingdom of God. For the last year or so, uh, I've tried very intentionally um, to change my perspective on things, and the way that I've done that uh, has been a little difficult, but I have engaged with and befriended lots of people from all sorts of uh, aspects of life that are different from mine. So I intentionally sought out people and, and befriended people um, who were of different race of me, uh, who were from a different country, who in, in encountered a different culture when they were growing up, or maybe are in a completely different socioeconomic class than I am, or uh, who are a different age than I am, or a different life stage than I am, different political views, different uh, gender, all of these things, I chose to listen instead of talk. And if you know me, I love to talk. So uh, that was quite a challenge. But the really cool thing that God did is that in, the, in that time of listening and starting to see things with a new perspective from peop other people's point of view, what God did is, is he didn't give me uh, better arguments to argue against people. I didn't learn how to mock or belittle other cultures. Instead, I learned how to better love my neighbor and how to better be there with them and expose God's kingdom here on earth to them. I, I hear things differently now. I see things that I never saw before. I, I literally do. Like I, out on the streets, I watch interactions and things that I never would have noticed before. I would have walked right past now I see those things. Um, and it's incredible what God can do when we allow him to change our perspective and reorient us. One of the biggest lessons that I learned in that time in the last year is this lesson between uh, scarcity and abundance. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I believe that most of us, when things are going well, that we don't take time to stop and thank God for what's going on. We don't thank him for uh, the way that he's provided for us, provided a home or provided food or provided health insurance. When things are going right in the world, instead of stopping, pausing, and thanking God for what he's done, instead what we often do is we try to get ahead, right? Like, okay, everything's right in the world. Now's my shot. I can like uh, do a little extra work. I can, I can gather up a little more resources. I can, uh, I've got all this stuff that I need to accomplish and I need to acquire and that's what we do with our time instead of thanking God. And I think that's living in a mindset of scarcity. Believing that there really is a limited amount of resources and I got to get mine. I think a posture of scarcity leads us to daydream about things. And it kind of limits our imagination because we daydream mostly about what if I had more? Like what if I had a million dollars? 
Ketchups with it. That's right, all the fanciest Dijon ketchup. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's Bare Naked Ladies. If you've never heard that band before, that was uh, one of my favorites when I was in high school. So it's a funny song, but uh, you should go home and listen to it because the whole, all the verses are really funny. All the things they imagine what they would do with a million dollars because their imagination is really limited. Like eat craft dinners. Like the, you probably have something much more exciting that you would do with a million dollars, right? Um, I hope you do. Um, I think that that song, though, kind of alludes to a truth that is our imaginations have been dulled down because all we can dream about is more. All we can dream about is better and greater, and that limits our imagination. Do you, do you ever find yourself daydreaming about how l- great life would be with less or what life would be like if you maybe just learned how to live with what you already had? Sometimes you might, but for the majority of your life, you're probably, like me, daydreaming about having more. And I think that that's um, a side effect of scarcity, that we see things as being scarce and limited, and that limits our imagination. There's a great quote um, that we've been quoting this guy a lot throughout this series. Um, His name is Walter Brueggemann, and he's an Old Testament scholar. He says this about scarcity. The myth of scarcity ends in despair. It gives us a present tense of anxiety, fear, greed, and brutality. It produces child and wife abuse, indifference to the poor, the buildup of armaments, divisions between people, and environmental racism. It tells us not to care about anyone but ourselves and is the prevailing creed majority of American society. I know this because I lived the majority of my life feeling this way living in a life of scarcity, really believing those things. And, and I still struggle with it today. I got to be honest with you. Janet and I, uh, my wife and I are moving in a year uh, to start a new church in uh, Baltimore City. And as we look at homes, we're looking at all these different neighborhoods. And I'm constantly thinking about, like I have this little app on my phone. And I'm constantly looking. I'm like, oh, that's a cool house. But what if we spent like 10000 more? Like what if I up it just a little bit? What would it look like? What if I got move to this neighborhood. We get a little bigger house. So I still struggle with it today. It's a, a very real thing. I think most of us see the world this way, through a lens of scarcity, that there isn't enough to go around. And living a life of scarcity, instead of recognizing the abundance of what God has done, of, of the generosity that he has heaped upon us, it, it's really um, a sad way to live. It, it's not... Um, it's not uplifting. I, I think that Satan has tricked us into believing that there's not enough to go around. I, I think it's the work of Satan. We, we live in this panicked state of fear, never knowing when our stuff will run out or if we've accumulated enough stuff. Perhaps the most extreme example of this is a television show called Doomsday Preppers. Anybody a, a prepper fan, huh? Come on, nobody? All right, this show is hilarious. You got to go home and look it up. Uh, it's probably wrong of me to laugh at these people because they have something going on. But they, um, essentially, these folks spend tens of thousands of dollars, many, many hours a week, living in fear, gathering stuff, hoarding supplies and resources, buying land, building bunkers, 
walking around with a gas mask everywhere they go. Like, these people are living in a mindset of scarcity, like, to the nth degree. And I understand that's an extreme example, and most of us don't walk around with gas masks. Anybody? Gas mask in here this morning? No? Um, so most of us don't really live that way every day, but I think we do to a degree. I think to a degree, if you're like me, your pantry is always stocked. You, you've got extra stuff in your pantry that sometimes you, we like clean out our pantries, right? Because we have so much stuff that there's stuff like hidden in the back that we're not, we never use and we got to throw it out because it goes out of date. We have extra bedrooms collecting dust. We end up renting storage units because our already packed homes can't fit everything that we own. And so we rent a space to keep our stuff. We hoard extra monies. We have insurance policies for everything from our health to home, from your life to a laptop. We have insurance for everything. And if you take a step back from that, just think about how exhausting that is. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're like me and you're at a point where you're like, oh, this is, this is just tiring. I can't keep up with all of this. I can't remember to pay all these in- insurances because we have so many of them. This is overwhelming. The, a life of scarcity is not, it's not an exciting life. It's not a healthy life to live. It's overwhelming. And when I read this book, when I read the Bible, that's not what I see heaven on earth looking like. That's not what I see Jesus describing. That's not the way that I see Jesus living I see him living out of abundance and I see him showing people over and over again that God has created enough. He gave us the right amount of food in the world. He gave us the right amount of land. We don't have to grab and hold and hoard. He gave us the right amount of time. How many of you have ever said, I wish God would have given us one more hour in the day? I don't think God got it wrong. I don't think when he was creating back in the day, He couldn't see what was happening. Remember, God is Elroy. He can see. He knew what culture in America and Silver Spring today would look like. He knew the life we'd be living. So God prepared. He knew, and he gave us an abundant amount of stuff. Um, He didn't get it wrong. And he gave us abundance so that we don't have to live in fear, so that we don't have to hoard resources or strive to collect more. Instead, we can live a life of abundance, and live in the realization of that and show it by the way that we live. See, I believe that from the moment that Jesus rose from the grave, his kingdom was established here on earth and that it is established now, today. We don't have to wait until heaven to be in his kingdom. We don't have to wait until we die. And it's a kingdom of abundance, not of scarcity. Go back and read the gospels and see the words that Jesus says. See the countless times when he comes to feed thousands of people And everyone says, there's a scarcity, there's not enough. And Jesus says, no, there's an abundance. Let's share, let's give. These are the ways of Jesus. I believe that as citizens of the kingdom of God, it's our job and it's our duty to expose to people the redemption that's happening in the created world all around us. It's happening every day. And it's our, we have the, not just the job, but we have the, the awesome privilege of being able to share with other people how abundant God's kingdom is and to watch them lift that load off their shoulders and just uh, recognize that there is an abundance and they no longer have to live in that way. We get to shine the light on the good things that God's doing in people's lives and we get to name Jesus in those moments and we get to give him the credit for the abundant provision and blessings in our life.
I think when you start seeing life from an abundant perspective versus a perspective of scarcity, when you start to live that way, that you won't be able to help yourself, you will have to be grateful. You just won't be able to contain it. You'll have to be thankful. And these psalms of thanksgiving give us the words to do that. They give us the ability. They, they put words to our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings in those times and allow us to thank God for what he's done for us. And there are many of them throughout scripture. But again, today we're in Psalm 30. Uh, I think it's page 385 in your Bible. And now I want to read um, one of, probably the most popular verse out of this. You may have heard it before, but I want to focus on it for a few minutes. It's verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5, it says this. For his anger, talking about God, lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night or sorrow may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Sorrow may last through the night. Another version says, sorrow may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. As I was reading through this psalm, I was reading over all these commentaries, right? Uh, old dead guys who wrote really cool stuff about the scripture and all the little things that uh, you and I who don't get to pour through and, and, and spend so much time in the scripture. These men wrote these incredible things, and women. Uh, one of the guys, his name is Barnes, and he wrote these incredible commentaries I love to read. He says about verse 5, sorrow may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. He says that sorrow is like a stranger. It's like a wanderer who's like roaming the streets and knocks on your door late at night, comes in and just needs a place to stay and, and stays for the night. And you're kind of disoriented, right? It's nighttime. You, 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 you let him in and you, you're, you're hospitable. You give him a place to stay. But then when you wake up in the morning, it's gone. Sorrow's gone. Joy, on the other hand, is a permanent resident. Joy has moved in. Joy, and that's, joy is taking up settlement inside of you, in your soul. And that's the way that we who live in the kingdom of God live. Joy is a permanent resident. And I believe that the effect of the abundant joy that we have, the effect of our, on our life, is that we become thankful, that we become grateful. If you're like me when you read through the Psalms of Reorientation and Thanksgiving, chances are it stirs some emotions in you. Uh, it stirred a lot of emotions in me, but probably the biggest emotion that it stirred in me is recognizing God's abundance and seeing what he's done for me, even in the tough times, like looking back and thinking about all the things that God has in my family. I look at those things on one hand, the abundance of God, and then on the other hand, I look at my neighbors and my family members, and I look at their mind frame of scarcity. Some of them, it is just a mind frame. They live in such a way that shows that they think there's a scarcity, right? They're collecting, hoarding, gathering, when really they already have enough. And others truly are living in scarcity. They, they might not have a home or have health insurance or have food. But I look at those people and I see God's abundance on this side and I see the scarcity they're living in. And I, I can't just sit and watch that. I, I'm moved to do something about that. It translates into action. And I believe that the action that comes out of it is hospitality. And we become hospitable because we recognize the abundance in our life and, and we just have to share it with other people. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not hoarding and gathering, but it's giving and it's sharing. It's sharing your home and your table. It's inviting other people in and being the host to them so that they can relax 
take the weight off their shoulders and recognize, wow, God has really richly blessed me. He's given me so many things that I never stop and think about. Instead of doing that, inviting people into our homes and around our tables, I think most of the time that we're guilty of our generosity taking shape as impersonal and distant. Uh, Instead of inviting people into our homes, uh, our generosity becomes the exchange of money or goods. Uh, We we gather old clothes that don't fit us and we give them to charities or, or we give money to overseas things and we never have a connection to those things. Now hear me right, I'm not saying that we shouldn't give our extra clothes away to charities. I'm not saying that we shouldn't give money to overseas issues like the refugees that we love so much uh, here at Restore. But I believe that the effects or the benefits of hospitality for you aren't fully felt until there's a life sharing that's happening, until there's this sharing of experiences and life. This is the whole reason why we went to Greece in May. This is the whole reason why we're going back. So many people ask, you're spending all these thousands of dollars, all of this vacation time, everything. You're spending all of that to go over and, and spend a week with these people. And, and what are you really accomplishing? Couldn't you just send those thousands of dollars to those people? Wouldn't that support them for months and months? And yes, that would. But here's the reason why we went. We went for more than just sharing goods or sharing money with our Syrian and Afghani friends. We went so that we could share the abundance of God's kingdom with them. And that's something that doesn't translate with a check. It doesn't translate with a box of clothes or food. It's something that is better shared in life around tables. And so we sat and we ate and we talked and we listened and we cried and we laughed. And that is the richness of hospitality becoming a benefit in your life. It's really a beautiful thing. One of the other things that our trips to Greece uh, have done is that they have really exposed to me and to others that there is a time in each one of our lives when we are in need of hospitality, when we, need, we needed someone to be there for us. I love what Chris Smith and John Pattison, this awesome book called Slow Church, great book, Slow Church. Um, in their book, they say, it's worth us asking ourselves, whether we have the cultural memory to recall times when our families, ancestors, churches, and neighborhoods were vulnerable, and whether we have the imagination to translate these memories into compassionate care for the vulnerable around us now. See, the church has always been known for and should be knowing for caring for the vulnerable. But the big difference in the church and other organizations is often that the church and Jesus had no expectation of reciprocation. We don't go out and serve other people so that they can owe us one or so that they can later give us something. No, that's scarcity, right? That's an exchange of goods. We live in a life of abundance. We live in the kingdom of God where we have so much to give away. It's just like pouring out of our pockets. We don't have space or time to collect all of it. It's so much of it. We have to give it away to other people. In my neighborhood, um, God has given Janet and I this incredible favor and has given us uh, an incredible amount of grace with our neighbors. It, it literally seems like our neighbors like, come out the door you know, just to hang out with us and spend time with us. 
And I like, sometimes I get a big head and think I'm special, but I'm not. I really believe that God has given us grace in our neighborhood. And Janet and I have become friends with a ton of our neighbors. Close to 30 of our neighbors were deeply embedded in relationship with them because of the grace God has given us there. Some of the stories that I can tell you, um, there's a, a, an elderly gentleman who lives down the street. His name's Dave. Uh, he's in his 70s, a retired bachelor. And the other day I sat with Dave and Dave shared with me for 45 minutes about all the chaos in his life and his girlfriend's life and all these things. And, and it was really quite fascinating um, to see how much he just wanted someone to hang out with him. He just wanted someone to listen to him. So I stood there and petted his dog for 45 minutes and listened to him without an expectation that he would give anything back to me. Uh, our neighbors asked us to watch their homes as they went out of town. And I, it wasn't even in my, like, it never flashed across my mind, oh, they should pay me for this. That never did. The, the old me, that might have like, okay, well, what are you going to give me in return? Like, but that, that didn't come across my mind because I'm trying to live in a life of abundance and God has gracefully been teaching me this in such a deep serious, like real way. Uh, it's incredible um, how God does that. The other day, there was a, a, a young boy, a three-year-old boy walking down our street and he was lost. He was crying in the street. Janet just happened to be walking by, this, by the window and saw him. So she runs out and starts talking to him. Uh, he was a little Hispanic boy. And so Janet, he wouldn't talk to her. And so Janet thought maybe he spoke Spanish. So she started speaking Spanish to him and he didn't respond at all. So I went down the street and got one of our neighbors who's Salvadorian. He's a, um, a fifth grader named Eric. So I went and got Eric. I'm like, Eric, come down here and talk to this little boy. So Eric came down and he was more willing to talk to Eric. And we sat on the street with him and we spent time with this little boy, but not because I like hoped his parents would cook me a meal or, you know, do something for me, but because of the abundance. I had to go out and love that little kid. Janet had to because God has poured so much into us that it's just overflowing. I hope that you can begin to live that way. Um, in such a way of recognizing the abundance. In this series, I hope that you have seen how the Psalms really are a big part of our life, how they can be. I think that we should be reading the Psalms more. I think that we should memorize some of them. I think that they should be tucked in the corners of our minds so that when tough times come up, or good times, that that's what, comes to the, that's what floods to the front of our heads so that we can recite them. I also think that we should share the Psalms with other people. I think that we should tell other people, we should read them in front of our friends and family and neighbors um, and, and share God's word and, and a blessing to them. No matter what you are going through in life, no matter where you are, I believe that there's a psalm that's for you. Um, whether it's a psalm of orientation when you're praising God for who he is, that he's the constant present provider, or, or whether it's in a time of disorientation, uh, maybe you are enduring a time of lament, a really tough struggle that you're going through, and you need to recognize that God has provided abundantly for your needs. Um, I want you to take a listen to this song. This is a band called Need to Breathe that many of you have probably heard of. And this is kind of another song where uh, the turn is being made out of disorientation and into reorientation, beginning to praise God.
that song uh, is just a reminder of how God reorients our life, that even in the tough times, we can recognize that God is present and we are reoriented and we now have a new view on life. And I pray for each one of you that if you have accepted Christ into your life and that if you're living as a Christ follower, that you begin to recognize the abundance of God's kingdom and that it overflows out of your life with gratitude and thankfulness to God and that that gratitude and thankfulness translates into you sharing that abundance with other people. I pray that each one of us would become more hospitable with our neighbors, that we would love them in real, genuine, around-the-table, meal-sharing type ways. I pray that for you this morning. God, you are great.